challenges. This is part 12 of handling life's challenges. Um, I know you might say, wow, Bishop, how are you going to get that out of this text? And I'm glad you asked. Good to see you, Elder. It's amazing that this text has so much here that I'm going to break down. It's going to take me two weeks just to do these 10 verses. These, I'm just going to do the feeding of 5,000. Two weeks. Tonight I just really want to deal with one section. And I'm going to look at it because there are two ways to look at this text. Well, there are multiple ways. First of all, when you read the Bible, I, I always remind you of this. You read the Bible and you generally read for content and you're trying to get inspired by what you're reading. So you're reading it to say, what does this scripture say to me? And so you're trying to be inspired and so you want to understand what it says and want to understand how it applies to your life. And that's always a good way to read the Bible. But there's another way to read the Bible by saying, what did this scripture say to them? Meaning, what did it say to the original community that it was written for? Now, I do believe that Jesus could divine and see 2019, but I really doubt if Matthew or Mark, Luke or John could have. Jesus sat in glory before he came to the earth. So for him knowing we were gonna be here 2019, eh, he's omniscient, God. But for them, nah. Which then means that the writer has something in mind for the contemporary situation that he finds himself in. And he is handling a challenge himself. So that so that he's trying to answer questions that are being asked. Now, let's, let's do this just in case you don't know this. I know you think that there was a stenographer walking behind Jesus writing notes every day. I know you just thought somebody was right there. Not so. The truth is that it was years after he had gone back through the resurrection that they decided that what they had been preaching in sermons needed to be codified and somebody needs to keep a record of this. And so it's important that you understand then, if you've ever written a note, have you ever written a note and you wrote it? Maybe, let's, let's make it simple because you're all a 21st century technical folk. Everybody here got a cell phone of some kind? Yeah, come be honest, you, okay. Have you ever written a text and then look back at it and say, ooh, I think they're gonna think I'm mad if I send this. Or you sent a text where you weren't mad but the other person perceived you were mad. Well, even better still, you looked at the text and said, I'm not gonna send this at all. I missed one of those on Sunday. Anyway, you have to realize at times, you get to the place where you get to be your own what? Editor. Because you're editing for what? 
for tone, you're editing for information, you're editing for voice, you're editing, look, if you're writing something down to somebody you can't communicate with all the time, you might just write it down. But if you're writing something down for somebody you don't talk to, there may be a bigger salutation there, there may be a, a, a bigger closing out at the end. Somebody you talk to all the time, husband and wife communicate with each other, look, I'll be home for dinner at six. You know, what do you want to eat? Husband say, whatever you're cooking. You can have that, but you're writing to somebody outside, it's different. So, I'm only bringing this up because of what I want to do tonight. So recognize, when Mark is writing here, he is writing thinking about those Jews who have not yet received Jesus, who have not yet understood the story contextually to their own lives and theology. He's trying to give them a way to bring focus and shape to what's going on, and he finds the best way to do it is by just telling the truth, but by putting it in a manner they can catch. In that way, when you recognize that, then that means I need to check not only my English translation of words, I need to check what the Greek would have been or the Aramaic that was being used because that may mean something different when I look at it there as to what they were really trying to convey. Everybody following so far? You know, you know, you could, you, you might say I love you to a whole lot of folk. You know, sometimes you write I love you down and you put L-U-V. Now for those of you who don't know that was spelled wrong, we, we got a class for you. You know, there are a lot of ways, well in the Greek there are several ways of saying love. And there are several ways of saying many words. So the word being used is going to tell you a lot about the feelings behind the words. Everybody together now? Let's look at this text because there's some fun in here for us and some real learning. I'm going to do this teaching on two levels uh, and I say that in, intentionally because I want to talk about what, again, what this meant to them, but I want to talk about how it applies to us in handling our problems as well. Okay, so let me do the first one is going to be what it would have meant to them and how Jesus handled it. Second part is going to be what you're going to do with it. All right, stay with me. Won't be long. All right, go back, look real quick. Now, verse 33 says that as they're departing, Jesus, as we recognize from those who have been studying with us, he, they, they came over to the other side intentionally to get away from the crowd so they could rest. That was the whole purpose. Let us go to the other side and what? Rest. But when they got there on the other side, many who knew him ran there on foot. So they must not have went to the center. They must have went like one of those short angle rides. Because you know, if you had went to Block Island, you wouldn't have got there on foot. It just Those of you who don't know our coastal ways, you wouldn't get that one. Okay. Understand, he must have went sort of like Gardner Lake. 
from one corner to the other corner where you, if you really wanted to get there, you could meet me there. And if you knew I wanted to be by myself, you could see me over there and leave me alone. So it kind of went across to the other side, but going across to the other side is kind of a little bit, eh, it's not like he went across the ocean. He gets to the other side, people get there to meet him, and when they get there, verse 34 says, and Jesus, when he came out, saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Now, this is difficult because sheep without a shepherd are in trouble because they're, excuse the expression, pretty much dumb. They, they, huh? They're defenseless. Thank you, thank you, Alan. So they're dumb, they're defenseless, anything else? They're lost, directionless. <laughs> so, so here he looks at them as sheep without a shepherd and he sees them and something is triggered in him that he goes to a different place. Let, let me do this before I push on. I'm gonna use point two for point one tonight because I wanna go first to this issue that, that gets my attention because I think that Jesus, and I'm gonna use this as number one, heartfelt passion, heartfelt passion. Now, now I'm, I, I, I do this because it, this is the way it comes up in the text. He has heartfelt passion. He says, he looks at them and the scripture says he has compassion on them. Now this is where I talk about languages become important. Because in the scripture, that word there is the word spalingmazo, I'm probably butchering the name, but that word actually relates to having, it's in the middle voice, and, and if you have that slide, you can put it up there, it's in the middle voice, but it really means from the bowels of, it, it, it actually, yeah, there's the word right there. The Greek is at the top. The word in Greek is there. And I'm sure all of you have been working on your Greek lessons, so you got it without the other part. Okay, maybe we didn't. Look, it means to have the bowels or yearn. It means to feel sympathy or pity. It means that he was moved. You know, you know the... Most of us think our emotions are in the heart. You know, it's mostly it's in their heart. But the first century Greeks always talked about emotions as being in the bowels, in the stomach. And I think they might be right anatomically. Have you ever been real nervous and got bubble gut? No, you don't. You, Okay, I'm sorry, mother. I probably have been a better way of saying that. You understand what I mean? You all of a sudden, you, you get really un unnerved and, and you, like your body just gets it involuntarily so. I think they might be right. At least that's where some of us have experienced the nervousness before. Listen, it is there that they want to express how deep the emotion is. 
that it's not simply like, oh boy, they having a hard time. Or, oh boy, I feel like there's something going on. No, it's heartfelt passion. When he sees them, his heart goes out to them. There's something that, that their sight of them changes him. Now remember now, Jesus has looked at the situation, brought them to the other side, and he's done that intentionally for them to rest, but upon seeing them, the idea of resting goes out because the idea of his compassion overwhelms him, and now he wants to do something for them. Watch this closely because I want to help you out individually. Jesus does this selflessly. So he is selfless. That's why the compassion works. It was selfless when it came to the disciples because he had been there talking with them. He says, look, we need to pull away. Let's go on the other side. When they get to the other side, he now makes a decision that remains selfless for him, but it also becomes selfless for others who are close to him. Because all of them have to now act altruistically and get ready to do ministry when they thought they were going to have a bedside prayer meeting. They thought they were getting ready to rest, but now they've got to do ministry. And his decision to do ministry becomes an insider's decision to do ministry. Y'all missed that right there. I'm trying to bless somebody. If you're in relationship with somebody in ministry, their decision in ministry affects everybody in the household. And if they don't get that up front, then it's going to be a problem in the household because what you have decided to do is going to have an effect on everyone. And one of the ways to get, to get beyond that is you teach them how to be selfless up front. They get an understanding of what it means to be in ministry up front. That sometimes what we really want to do, we can't do because we've got to do what we've been called to do. He sees them. And what's going on out here requires an immediate response. I can't ask you all to meet me back here at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning because I need to minister right now. Something needs to be done right this moment. Unfortunately, that's how ministry is. Sometimes things have to be done right then. And one of the ways of getting around that, that argument that would ensue is by preparing each other for what has gone to happen and recognizing that ministry sometimes happens real quick. All right, second thing. And this is now number one for those in the AV room. Number one, notice what happens in the text. They arrive, and Jesus moved with compassion. And then there is this because. This because. And, and would you read what your Bible says after because? They were. Are y'all reading your Bibles? They were like what? Sheep not having a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. 
you know, sheep without a shepherd is, is, is really a bad situation. It's, it's, it's bad. It's, it's like having a boat without water. It just won't work. It's, it's, like, it's, like having, it's like having seed without soil. It just won't work. It's like having a car without a battery. It just won't work. We're in trouble. And he looks at them and he sees them. His compassion is moved because he sees them there like sheep without a shepherd. Y'all still here? You, got, you work with me? I think that the next couple of words are mind-blowing. Sheep without a shepherd? Mind-blowing. Y'all looking at me like, Reverend, you, just, you must be tired, Bishop. You, you might have got burned by the sun from the church outing Sunday. Yes. How is that mine? Because what Mark wants to show and what Jesus is demonstrating is now contextualizing his current ministry. I know that's a high flute word saying historical perspective. Historical perspective. You see, sheep without a shepherd goes back to early writings. And the early writings relate like this, that whenever, because they were a part of an agrarian culture, whenever there were sheep that had no shepherd, the sheep would either easily stray off and they could easily be killed or they could easily get into trouble. Whenever they were scattered, you, it was hard pressed to get them back into one place and to get them unified. And so metaphors in the Old Testament around, uh, around agriculture are, are always there, they're replete. And they keep coming up over and over again, even in the conversation that God has with his people. And so when his people go to him in prayer, they also speak in metaphorical language because that's the way they know life. So at the end of Moses' journey, when Moses realizes that he's not gonna make it into the promised land, Moses has a recognition that if I'm not gonna take them, it's gonna get bad, sir. Y'all, see y'all looking at me again. Let's, let's work with it. Go to Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27. And drop down to verse 12. Verse 12. Verse 12. Numbers chapter 27, drop down to verse 12. When you get it, you have a good word there. Let's look at it. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into the mount Abraham and see the land which I've given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. I know most of us, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, Lord. Gathered to your people. That don't sound too good. That sound like gathered to my people. Yeah, Moses, you're getting ready to die. Ooh, Jesus. 
You know, ain't nothing more uncomfortable than somebody telling you the expiration date. But watch what Moses does. Moses doesn't get moved by that. Look at the text. Because Moses knows how to handle a challenge. Listen, for in the wilderness of Zen, during the strife of the congregation, you see, Moses probably gave God that look, and God says, uh, you need me to explain this to you? So let me explain it to you then, boy. It, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hollow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Mirabah at the Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. Then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of, of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Moses almost says, you got me. You did say I wasn't going in, but I thought when we got here, you just might have changed your mind. The Lord said, no. You're not going in. And at Moses hearing God's word, Moses' first thought is for the people. If I die, what shall happen then? What will happen to the people? Y'all still with me? Notice what he says in verse 17. This ought to get your attention right here. He says, he says, uh, Verse, verse 15 says, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, verse 16, the God of the Spirit set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. When Jesus gets off the boat, he sees them and in a Moses delivering moment, looks at them and says, I'm looking now at sheep with no shepherd. I've got sheep in front of me who have no shepherd. Here they are now, sheep with no shepherd. And that historical perspective aligns up in his mind and he realizes right then, this has to be handled now. My time is now. A shepherd needs to be in place now. A leadership needs to come now. This is what I've been sent here for, to be in front of the people now, sheep with no shepherd who have been scattered, who are now coming together of their own volition. I want to help somebody here. Let me bless some folks in this congregation right now. In your life, in your life, when you're handling life challenges, you need some sense of historical perspective. Sometimes you're going through stuff or sometimes things happen, you need to be able to match them up with what God has already done or with what you've already witnessed. And it can reassure you of your next move. Sometimes you look at things and you want to see them in isolated ways. This compartmentalized this happening and compartmentalized that happening. And all what you really need to see is how does this fit into the dynamic whole? 
Is God showing me something through this situation? Is there something to be gleaned in this picture here? The last time this happened to me, I ran away. This time I'm gonna stand still because I want to see what God's gonna do. The last time this happened to me, I almost gave up on God. This time I'm gonna stand here and praise him in the midst of it all. Sometimes if you can connect, and that happens the same way when you believe in God for healing. The last time I was sick, God healed me. I know he can do it this time. Having a historical perspective, too often we want to leave off history for the present, but the history that we have informs the present. And what was going on there was Jesus was being informed by history, and history said, I'm put here for this purpose here, for this I was called. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Can I do this for you? I'm going to mess your head up for one second. Let's tabula rasa Jesus. Blank slate him. That's what the word means. Latin, tabula rasa, blank slate. Let's tabula rasa Jesus. Spirit of Jesus enters into human flesh through the birth canal, enters into the world. Spirit of Jesus enters into the world through the birth canal into a woman who then begins to grow up. He is taught all of Jewish history. He's taught sacred scriptures. Are you listening to me? He's taught the sacred scriptures. He's taught this same story. He gets to learn it. If we go there, then we get rushed up 30 years later and he has this experiential thing with God where God now reveals himself that Jesus, you're not just human, you are also divine. You've been touched by heaven and even the heavens declare to spiritual Jesus that who you are now, spiritual Jesus doesn't get to carry all of heaven's knowledge with him. What he does have though is the historical perspective which now sees something in the present connects it to the past which reminds him of divinity and all of a sudden the light goes off I know just what I'm supposed to do I see it here here's a connection these people are like sheep without a shepherd and I am the good shepherd. Uh, you, 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 you need to understand this whole idea of a historical perspective, but I'm going to close this out. I told you it's going to take me two weeks to do it. I'm going I'm to mess your head up. You ain't even had your head messed up yet. I'm gonna, yeah. You see, you got to understand, up to that point, those Sanhedrins and those Pharisees and Sadducees, they had been in leadership. You know, the Sanhedrin Council was made up of two factions, Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, on one group, the council was led in terms of the Sadducees by a group who would be advocating sort of a compromise position. That is, getting along with the Roman Empire. They're, they're, they're there, they want to live, you know, as Jews, and they want to compromise with Rome because they're not ready for warfare, and they're standing there. The Pharisees, on the other hand, 
who are also leaders within the Sanhedrin Council, they, they're there. They want to be good Jews, but they also have come up developing traditions that have nothing to do with being good Jews. And to uphold the tradition was more important than going out and being what God told them to be. Here's Jesus. I did not come to compromise with Rome, and I didn't come to compromise with tradition. I came with a word from the Lord. It has nothing to do with Rome or your tradition. It is to get us back into right relationship with God. I think we're onto something here. I think we're onto something here. And, and if, if, if I'm right about historical perspective, then I know I'm right about the Good Shepherd because it connects to holy prophecy. Some of y'all looking at me like, Reverend, where thou getting this at? Stay with me for just a minute. Because the phrase, sheep without a shepherd, harkens back to the words of Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel speaks a, a word to us. Watch this, watch this, watch. Here it goes, here it goes. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse five and six. Ezekiel 34, five and six. Y'all still with me? 34, verse five says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. My people were scattered. I said holy prophecy, didn't I? My people were scattered and nobody was searching for them. And my people, instead of being fed, they became food. What happens to a lost sheep in the wilderness? It becomes food for other animals because it is not an animal of prey itself. It becomes the prey. It's not a predator, it's a prey. Any lion, hyena, jackal, anything else in the wilderness can eat it. My people have become food. Instead of being fed, they are the food. That's what the word says. Here's God's solution to Israel, shepherdlessness. He says, this situation was to become their good shepherd. God's solution to Israel's shepherdless situation was to become their good shepherd. Since they were shepherdless, 
God's decision. His solution to Israel's shepherdless situation was to become their good shepherd. How do I know that? The same chapter, same book, same chapter. Don't leave it. We're going to close on this one. Verse 11. Verse 11. It's in your Bible too. Verse 11. For thus saith the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them. Who's going to do it? He said, I will do it on the mountain of Israel, in the valleys, and in all of the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture. And there the foes shall be on the high mountain of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pastures. They shall lie down in a good fold and feed in good pastures pasture on the mountain of Israel, I will feed my, y'all don't even know why I slowed down. What did I tell you on Sunday? They sat down in companies, some in fifties, some in hundreds. There they shall lie down. There they shall be able to sit and eat in a what? Good fold. Notice the company set up in this text we're in now is a reminder of the fold set up of the promise of God. So that the whole idea of the feeding of the 5,000 is not just the miraculous. The idea is that God is fulfilling the prophetic word of Ezekiel through Jesus Christ in a physical ocular demonstration before everyone to see. That's why when you see it in the text, nobody got excited, nobody said anything. There was a lot of quiet. If you notice in this text, there's no celebration. It should have been a crazy time when they saw 5,000 being fed. They didn't even know to celebrate. They didn't know where the bread was coming from. It was coming from the bread of life. It was coming from the good shepherd, but they couldn't receive that knowledge at that point. But since you know that he's the good shepherd, and since you know his holy prophecy, you get the delight in praising him for being the shepherd of the sheep. Come on, let's give God a praise. Come on, let's give him a praise. Well, bless his holy name.